get into God's Word together. Today is actually part three of the series that we're doing on the indispensable help of the Holy Spirit. And trust that you're enjoying the series so far and that God is speaking. And so I want to talk to you today about indispensable presence. I want to build from kind of where I finished up last time and, uh, and talk to you there about indispensable presence. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. We've been learning about the Holy Spirit in recent weeks. But the three of those, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, all God, all people, all persons, they work together in perfect harmony and unity. And within that relationship, there are certain activities that are assigned or delegated. Now, when I use the word delegated, I don't want you to think of that in some kind of lesser sense, like, oh, he delegated that task because... You know, that was too menial for him or something, so he gave that one away. But there are certain activities that are assigned or delegated among them. And there are, there are certain things that the Father and the Son have delegated, given to the Holy Spirit. A role which is his. And that is that the main work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the presence of God. The main work of the Holy Spirit is to manifest the presence of God in the world and actually especially in the church. Now you may have heard this before, but there are different dimensions to God's presence. There's God's omnipresence, which means that God is everywhere. Psalm 139, David says there, where can I flee from your presence? He talks about all the different places he and he says, wherever I go, quote, you are there. There's God's indwelling presence that if Jesus has saved you, if you've given him your heart and your life, then he lives in you and dwells in you by the Holy Spirit. Romans 8 and 1 Corinthians 6 teach us that. And then there's God's manifest presence. And this is where I'm going to be hanging around today, which is what we're going to focus on. And the word manifest there is defined as something that becomes clear or obvious to the eye or mind. And so it's when God comes in such a way that it is clear and obvious. Clear and obvious to the eye and the mind. In other words, there's no doubt about it that this is God. By the way, a side note, if anyone who's here is a football fan is thinking of VAR as I quote clear and obvious, stop right now. <laughs> I can see a few smiles on faces. If those of you who don't follow football wonder what I've just joked about, don't worry, it's not important, let it go over your head. But manifest presence creates this God consciousness. It's this awareness. It's when everyone in the vicinity becomes aware of the presence of God. So in the Old Testament, we know that that either happened by the glory of God coming, the glory of God falling, or what we call theophanies or Christophanies. Okay, now that is simply this. Sudden and temporary appearances of God or the pre-incarnate Christ, the theophany is an appearance of God to man. Or a Christophany is the pre-incarnate Christ appearing to man. And so we have encounters through the Old Testament where God appears in different ways to man and man realizes this is God. 
So you've got Abraham, the three guys at Abraham's tent, and he says, it's the Lord. You've got the Jacob's wrestling match with the man who Jacob wrestles with, and Jacob says, I quote, I saw God face to face. You've got Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the blazing hot furnace that King Nebuchadnezzar chucked them in. But when he looks in, he says, I threw three in there, but I see four. And the fourth is like the son of the gods. There was this sudden appearance of God. They come out not even singed or harmed or burnt. And that furnace was heated so hot, not even smelling of smoke. And Nebuchadnezzar, in my paraphrase, basically says this. This is God. And he says, we need to worship their God. But then we fast forward to the New Testament and Christ is born. Jesus himself becomes the manifest presence of God. So we've gone from the Old Testament, the glory of God, or the theophanies, the appearances of God, or the Christophanies. Now we've gone into the New Testament, and Jesus is the manifest presence of God among men. John 1.14 in the Amplified says, And the word Christ became flesh, human incarnate, and tabernacled, fixed his tent of flesh, lived a while among us, and we actually saw his glory, his honor, his majesty. Such glory as only begotten Son receives from His Father. Full of grace, favor, loving kindness and truth. Hebrews 1 verse 3. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being. So Jesus is the embodiment of who God is. He's the visible manifestation as He appears in the New Testament there of the invisible God. And we see the presence of God manifest appearing clearly and obviously through Christ's life, through his ministry. He carries that glory. And that's why everywhere we look through the pages of the New Testament, everywhere that Jesus shows up, we see God moving in a powerful way. But then Jesus dies on the cross and he ascends back to the Father just as he said he would. And now we live in these days and since then, And until the Lord returns, because you do know that Jesus is coming back, right? Now this age in which we live, the Holy Spirit is the one who most prominently manifests God's presence among us. So John 14, 15 and 16, Jesus says, he'll be with you forever. He's going to bear witness about me. He's going to glorify me. He's going to reveal me. He's going to make me known. In the days in which we're living, the Holy Spirit makes the presence of God known. He makes Jesus known. He reveals him. And so we get these moments like Acts 2, tremendous, significant, game-changing moments where there's the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And in verse 2, it says, and suddenly, will you say suddenly with me this morning? Here it is, the manifest presence of God. Clearly and obviously, God, the presence of God is about to come in a way that everyone knows. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. And it filled the entire house where they were sitting. This sudden awareness of the presence of God. God shows up through the Holy Spirit. And it says, unquote, the entire house knew it. Every believer knew it. And it says, as you read through Acts chapter 2, those outside in the city heard this sound, were bewildered and came together to find out more. Something is happening here. And it says, in one day, 3,000 people give their life to Jesus, are baptized and added to the church. 
And one day, as I said earlier on, Jesus is coming back for his church. He's coming back for his bride. And Revelation 21 tells us there'll be a new heaven and earth. And there, when we are with him, we'll experience and enjoy the fullness of his presence. Because there in 21, chapter 21 and verse 3, it says, The dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them. So we look forward to that day when we'll enjoy the fullness of God's presence as he dwells with us and us with him. But the most beautiful thing is this. You don't have to wait. Until that day to experience his presence. Because in 2 Corinthians 1 and chapter 20, uh, verse 22 and 2 Corinthians 5 verse 5. God calls the Holy Spirit the guarantee or as some versions say the down payment of what is to come. The Holy Spirit is a taste of heaven. The imagery there when it talks about the down payment is just a simple image of like when you put a deposit down on something. You know, I know we're in a bit of a cashless way of living at the moment, but you know the days when you, if you went to buy a car or something, and, you know, or you looked at it and you, you, you put the money down, that deposit down, and it was like there is a sample, there is a taste of what is to follow or to come. That's the imagery that's being used here, that the Holy Spirit is like that. He is a taste of what is to come. The presence of God, he's like that deposit. And through him, we can experience something of what we will enjoy in its fullness when God dwells with us and us with him. And so throughout the Old Testament and New Testament, consistently, we see how when the Holy Spirit is present, God's blessings come. So if you followed me this morning, the manifest presence in the Old Testament, the glory of God, the appearance of God to man. Fast forward to the New Testament and Jesus is the manifest presence of God among men. He's carrying that glory, but then he ascends to the Father. He says, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. He'll be with you forever. And now he's the one who's going to bring the presence of God. And we get Acts chapter 2 and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And now we dwell in these days until one day we will see him face to face and we'll enjoy the fullness of that glory. But I don't have to spend all my days just looking forward to saying, and it is going to be wonderful then, and I do look forward to it, but I realize I can taste something of that now through the Holy Spirit. And so everywhere we see when the Holy Spirit is present, that's why when he comes, God's blessing comes. So the prophet Isaiah catches a glimpse, it seems, of Pentecost in Isaiah 32 and what it would mean. And it says this, for the palace is forsaken, the populous city is deserted until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high. Which happened at Pentecost. And the wilderness becomes a fruitful field. And the fruitful field is deemed a forest. Then justice will dwell in the wilderness and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect of righteousness will be a peace. And the result of righteousness, quietness and trust forever. My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings and in quiet resting place. What a beautiful scripture. When the Holy Spirit comes, there's greater fruitfulness, righteousness, peace. And freedom. God's blessing. And when the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. This whole new level. A 
of God's presence and blessing begun to open up to us. Because on that day, days begun in which Joel chapter 2 and Acts chapter 2 tell us where God said, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. On men and on women, on sons and on daughters. On men and women irrespective of class or position, they will prophesy. Young men will see visions, old men will dream dreams. Days, it says, when God says, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below. Days when it says, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Read that in your own time, Acts 2, 16 to 21. Prophecy, dreams, signs, wonders, salvation. You know, when the Holy Spirit shows up, when the presence of God comes, you know it. You see it. There was this phenomena that began on Acts chapter 2 where people saw and witnessed the effects of His coming. The evidence of His activity. Zandi said to us last week, He's the wind. You see and feel the effects of the wind. John 7, Jesus talks to us about the Holy Spirit. When we're filled with Him, it will be like rivers of living water flowing from within us. That's a simile there that tells me this. If the Holy Spirit is like a river flowing out of you, you're going to know it. You're going to feel it. You're going to see it. And others are going to see it. It's like a river flowing from within you. And we see this consistently through the Bible. The visible and tangible effects of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God coming. The manifest presence of God. So let me give you some examples this morning. In the Old Testament, we've got 70 elders with Moses and they all begin to prophesy. Numbers 11. Sam, uh, Saul who meets a band or a company of prophets and they all begin to prophesy. You know, you sometimes just read that, but imagine that 70 people and they all begin to prophesy. The dynamic of the Holy Spirit moving in that way. Just imagine God breaking out in here this morning and suddenly 70 of you, I don't even know if there's 70 of us here, but imagine all of you begin prophesying. You've got the Holy Spirit coming upon Samson just doing that everyday kind of stuff like ripping lions apart. Striking down the enemy who are vastly outnumbering him. Doing these great works of power that we see in Judges 14. In the New Testament, we've got the visible evidence of the dove, the Holy Spirit, descending upon Jesus at his baptism. If you want the scriptures for these, I'll give them to you afterwards. There's the rushing wind and tongues of fire on the disciples at Pentecost, Acts 2. People who are then speaking in tongues, Acts 2, 10 and 19. There's miraculous signs and wonders. There's the demonstrations of the power of God, Hebrews 2, 1 Corinthians 2, Romans 15. Then we move to the gifts of the Holy Spirit that are spoken about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're having a whistle-stop tour through the Bible here today, church. The the gifts of the Spirit that manifest, that show the activity of God, the evidence, the presence of God, the moving of the Holy Spirit, wisdom, knowledge, faith, gifts of healing, working of miracles, prophecy, ability to distinguish between spirits. The gift of tongues, that's different to baptism in the Spirit and your personal and devotional tongue, but we'll go into that another time. The interpretation of tongues. Then in Galatians 5, we've got the fruits of the Spirit. 
Fruit is something we see, right? Fruit is something we taste. Fruit is something we experience. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are all listed. There's this visible evidence of the activity of the Holy Spirit. The presence of God in our lives is that we see and experience and others see and experience this, how we become more loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind. There's this goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. Galatians 5 and Romans 8 teach us how the Holy Spirit changes our desires. You look at someone and think, wow, they don't seem to desire the things they desired before. The way they live and the way they want to live and the way they're thinking and the things they value and the things they pursue and what they will do or do do and what they won't do or don't do. The Holy Spirit clearly makes the work and the presence of God obvious, clear and obvious. He's the manifestation of God's presence. And the beautiful thing is that because He is God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, He shares all the attributes of God. And that means wherever the Holy Spirit makes His presence known, listen to this really, Lean into this. Wherever the Holy Spirit makes His presence of known, His influence will always bring God-like character and atmosphere. Wherever He makes His presence known, His influence will always bring a God-like character and a God-like atmosphere. Now, when I say, people say, well, God's not an atmosphere. I understand what they're saying. Let me say, I'm going to show you some stuff in a moment. If we're talking about atmosphere, make sure it's atmosphere with a capital A. (laughs) Because there is absolutely, I believe, an atmosphere that God, that is God-like. That when God shows up, characters change. He brings his characters, atmospheres change. It's true for our personal life. And it's true for our church that the character and the atmosphere of an individual as the Holy Spirit comes upon them or has filled them and they, the presence of God as it work in their life changes. Church gatherings, meetings become more like God. Let me say this, more like heaven. Have you ever been in that meeting when it's like, you know that God is there. But then it's like, God is there. And His manifest presence comes as the Holy Spirit begins to come. And as He brings His character, as He comes, as He comes in that place, the whole atmosphere seems to shift and change. A God consciousness that comes. An awareness. When the Holy Spirit is moving. Jared Cooper, I'm going to quote him a couple of times today. Very good book on when the word and spirit collide. It says, atmosphere is not just the passion that comes from having a vision 
or the natural excitement of putting on a good event. It is pure heaven unleashed. I believe if we're to return to the biblical culture, we must return to the biblical source. The outpouring of the Holy Spirit on and in and through the church. In every revival, we find that they were all deeply acquainted with the source. God's powerful presence. Every great revival has been accompanied by a powerful outpouring of heaven. Every church, every leader, every Christian needs their own regular Pentecost. Our greatest danger is that we simply fill the various slots of our meeting without connecting with heaven. This soon descends into religion when what we need is another infusion of heaven. The Holy Spirit is key. And the Bible tells us scripture after scripture. There's so, friends, there's so much. I'm, I don't, I'm not saying this in a bragging way. I'm saying because I can't share it all. There's so much Bible in my notes today in terms of scriptures. I can't possibly, you know, reference all of these. But you'll have to trust me. If you want the scriptures afterwards, I can give them to you. But you'll be sitting here for a long time if I read every one to you this morning. But I want you to say that as you study scripture, as you look at what an, a, a character, a godlike character, what the Holy Spirit does, when he comes and he touches a life or he touches a church or he comes in a meeting in a powerful way, when the Holy Spirit brings that godlike character and that godlike atmosphere, the atmosphere of God, let's put it that way, into a meeting, what would it might look like? Well, holiness. God is holy. The Bible clearly tells us that the Holy Spirit brings a conviction of sin and righteousness and judgment. So it might be just a... And there's a mark of holiness upon that saved person's life. Love. The Holy Spirit pours the love of God into our hearts, the Bible says. You see, that person changes as they're touched by the love of God. That meeting changes. It's like liquid love. Just in the meeting. And all you do is, you're overwhelmed by the love of God. Righteousness. Peace, joy, all in the Holy Spirit, truth, wisdom, comfort, freedom, hope. Romans 15 verse 13 in the Amplified Version talks about how by the power of the Holy Spirit we can be abounding and overflowing and bubbling over with hope. That individual who suddenly becomes so hope-filled as the Holy Spirit begins to touch them. That meeting where the very atmosphere begins to get charged with incredible levels of hope and freedom. And an awareness, the Bible talks about, that we're God's children. That assurance and that, oh, I am His and He is mine as the Holy Spirit comes. The glory, the unity is a work of the Holy Spirit. The power of God. Scriptures that talk about that. The very power of God begins to move in a person's life and in a meeting. And then there's the revelation. Ephesians 1 verse 17. The spirit of wisdom and revelation. Paul says, I pray for for you in order that you might know him better. The unveiling of the Son in a person's life. The unveiling of Jesus as we begin to worship Him. In a gathering in the atmosphere, the Holy Spirit begins to bring the God-like character and change the very atmosphere. And Jesus is revealed. Friends, 
I believe that the days have not passed us by. When God comes in a meeting and you've got one man on his knees at front repenting. You've got another one dancing in the aisles because they're filled with joy. You've got another one rejoicing as they abound with hope. Another one who's been through brokenness is comforted in the corner. Another one is filled with the peace of God in the most crazy understanding. They just can't even get their head around it. Another one who's long wrestled with the understanding that they are a child of God is suddenly convinced. There's a unity and a togetherness that begins to come where there's been fractures and brokenness. There's a glory that comes into the room. And everyone's consumed by Jesus. And He's all they want and He's all they need. And they just worship Him in His beauty. As the Holy Spirit makes Him known and unveils the Son. There's a cry in every heart for every need. Jesus is all I need. I don't believe those days are behind us. I believe we're still living in those days. But how we respond to the Holy Spirit is absolutely at the heart of what we long for in our lives and what we long for in our gatherings. G.K. Chesterton said, we don't want a church that moves with the world. We want a church that moves the world. It's a church, a spirit-filled church full of spirit-filled believers. Jared Cooper said in Acts 4.30, the early church's response to persecution was not to make themselves more culturally relevant or reanalyze their style, though all that is good, but rather to passionately cry out to God. Stretch forth your hand to perform signs and wonders. In expectation of a fresh wave of power from on high. They didn't call for a better worship leader to perform. But rather called for God to take center stage. And Acts 4 verse 31 records the result of that dependency upon the Holy Spirit. And when they prayed, the place where they were meeting together was shaken. A sign of God's presence. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness and courage. Theologians talk about four ways that the Holy Spirit brings evidence of God's presence and blessing in our life. He empowers, he purifies, he reveals and he unifies. But we cannot take any of those things for granted. We'll be unpacking them in coming weeks What I mean by that is they don't just somehow automatically kick in after salvation. They don't just happen. Wayne Grudem said this, The Holy Spirit reflects the pleasure or displeasure of God with the faith and obedience or unbelief and disobedience of God's people. The Holy Spirit gives stronger or weaker evidence of the presence and blessing of God. According to our response to him. How am I going to respond to this series? As we hear about the Holy Spirit and all the difference he makes and the change that he makes and how he transforms and helps. And does stuff that we long for. How am I going to respond? 
Because how I respond to what God teaches me about the Holy Spirit is going to reflect my experience of His work. The presence of God in my life and in our church. The blessing of God in our lives and among us as the church. Faith matters. We have to respond in faith as we talk about the Holy Spirit. Galatians chapter 3, verse 3 through to 5. Have a look at that. And obedience and hunger are key to the Holy Spirit Sorry, bringing the presence and blessing of God. How can the Holy Spirit come upon Samson so powerfully in so many ways, but ultimately leave him because he persisted in sin? And the Bible tells us that the Holy Spirit is a person who can be grieved, Ephesians 4. He can be resisted, Acts chapter 7. He can be quenched, 1 Thessalonians 5, like put the fire out. And when we grieve him or resist him or quench him, our experience is that the presence of God and the blessing of God lifts That's why, friends, what we watch, how we speak, how we treat people, what we allow to go on in our homes matters. That illustration of R.T. Kendall with the Holy Spirit as the dove, you know, the dove that came to nest in the house. And they noticed something that every time they banged the door, raised a voice, turned the telly up, too loud, the dove flew away. And the dove is the symbol of the Holy Spirit. And they discovered that they had to adjust the way they were to live if they were to host the dove. Bill Johnson does some brilliant teaching on hosting the Holy Spirit. We need to adjust things in our home. What we, not just speak, but what we allow to go on in our homes will directly affect the presence and blessing of God upon our lives. The way we live, the way we speak, what we watch, what we allow to go on matters. Because I taught you last time, sorry, I I showed you last time that what Jesus wants for us to have with the Holy Spirit is this close fellowship. Those two scriptures from last time, John 16 verse 7 and 2 Corinthians uh, 13, 14. Fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the message version, intimate friendship. The Bible says you've got to keep in step with him. You've got to walk with him. You've got to live by him. You've got to be filled with him. It talks about how you've got to rejoice in him and resolve and how you access God through him and pray with him and worship and love and continue in him. And I want you to know that if you learn to let your life and your ministry, whatever form that may take, be done in the Holy Spirit, the presence and blessing of God will be released. And your character and life and our church, his church, will be transformed to be more like Jesus. And the way we feel and desire and speak and pray and minister will lift to another level because it will be Christ-like. And you'll begin to dwell and we'll begin to dwell in atmospheres that the Holy Spirit creates, atmospheres of power and love and truth and holiness and righteousness and peace. But faith, obedience... And hunger matter. I'm finishing up. Because without doubt, the Bible teaches us to see the presence of God coming powerfully. And therefore, the blessing of God released. You have to passionately desire 
the Holy Spirit. For the river to flow in John 7 verse 37. For the Holy Spirit to be present. Jesus first teaches there must be thirst and hunger. Paul says you've got to eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit. There's nothing passive about that. Ephesians 5 says you've got to be filled with him. Be being filled every day. You've got to hunger for his fellowship and his friendship every day. Hungry in your personal life. Hungry as a church congregation. I'm wrapping all this up. We have to learn to depend upon him and his power. And realize anything of significance is done. Zechariah 4 verse 16 says, Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. The New Living Translation says, Not by force nor by strength, but by my spirit. The Message Version says, You can't force these things. They only come about through my Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is indispensable. Remember that definition? Absolutely necessary or essential. This is what indispensable means. Incapable of being disregarded, set aside or neglected. Too important not to have. Friends, my prayer for this series, I said in part one and throughout, is that we would long for a deepening relationship with the Holy Spirit. And that we would develop and deepen our relationship with Him. And we would see that He is absolutely necessary and essential. Incapable of being disregarded, set aside or neglected. Too important not to have. I'll end with one story. And then I want to ask you to stand to your feet as I ask you a question. True story about the famous American evangelist, D.L. Moody, he died in 1899, age 62, gave up a successful shoe business, boot and shoe business, and went to work with the YMCA because he wanted to share Christ with people. That was in the period of the Civil War, and he, was, he offered to go to no less than nine battlefields to share Jesus with the soldiers. When he was one day coming to England to hold a gospel campaign, he preached to a lot of people. An elderly pastor protested, why do we need this Mr. Moody? He's uneducated and inexperienced. Who does he think he is anyway? Does he think he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? And a younger, wiser pastor rose and responded, no, sir, but the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. They say crowds between two and 30,000 gathered up and down England and Scotland to hear him share the gospel. They estimate in his lifetime he led around one million people to Christ. What was the key to such an incredible outpouring of the presence and blessing of God? Does Mr. Moody think he has a monopoly on the Holy Spirit? No, sir. But the Holy Spirit has a monopoly on Mr. Moody. Friends, we cannot do life and see all he has for us to see and be all he wants us to become and experience all he has for us to experience and do whatever, whatever the ministry is, whatever form it takes. Don't get focused on a pulpit. We can't do that and we can't do church without him. I want you to stand to your feet this morning if you want to see God at work in your life. If you long for the presence of God to come in a new and fresh way. 
If you're longing for the blessing of God to be poured out. If you long for that for yourself, for your family. If you long for that for church, say stand into your feet. That you're longing to see God at work among us. You want to see the presence of God come in. You want to see the blessing of God poured out in this place. If you want a dynamic relationship with God. If you want to be part of dynamic gatherings. And you want to move in a level of dynamic witness. I want you to know this morning that is absolutely what God is longing for. For you and with you. And for us as a church. But will you let the Holy Spirit have the monopoly? Will we let him have the monopoly? I love the fact that it says he's uneducated and inexperienced. It don't matter one jot how smart, clever, sharp, wise, theological you think you are. Thank God we've got examples in the Bible. It says, you know, they were uneducated men, but they had been with Jesus. If you're willing to open your heart to the Holy Spirit at home and in the room right now and just say, come, Holy Spirit, that's all I want to pray. Would you just lift your hands to Jesus and just pray with me? Come, Holy Spirit. Say that to him this morning. Come. Holy Spirit, we open our hearts. The, if you like, the, the, the doors of your church, if we've shut you out in any way, or even if we seek to lock you in. We open our hearts. We lay it down. And we pray come Holy Spirit. Come and have the monopoly I pray on every person who's responding right now. Lord I want to pray Holy Spirit. Would you bring. Presence of God. The blessing of God. Would it be poured out over every person right now as they're responding to you. And Lord, I pray that they will know they must continue to respond to you as we go from this place. We're, we're making a stand now, but this week, Lord, I pray for them to respond in faith, obedience, and hunger. And Lord, I thank you that as we do that, our relationships with you, our gatherings as a church, and the way that we're going to share, share Jesus with people is going to go to a whole new level. And all God's people said, Amen.